Amen. Good morning, church. How are you today? Yeah, good. You seem awake and ready to go. So we're gonna, let's just jump into it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15. Now, uh, for the next 10 weeks, four weeks in this series, six weeks in the series after this, we're going to really be diving into like a, a singular passage and working through that passage. And we'll branch off to a couple cross-references, but we're going to kind of focus in there. So here's what I wanted you to do. I know in our contemporary church setting, we got nice screens. You'll get the, that up there. You got your phones. You probably, you know, at least tell me you're looking up scripture on your phone. You know, I want to encourage you for the next 10 weeks, maybe longer, but let's go for 10 weeks, that you'd actually bring your Bible along with you. Like you'd You'd find it at your house if you haven't used that in a little while. I see that, Jeff, so extra points for you. But you bring your, your Bible along with you, and you, you just kind of open and engage. Because here's what's going to happen as well. Uh, all of our small groups start this week. We've got nine different small groups that are kicking off this week. And we're going to be following up what we study on Sunday morning with our small group lesson as well, looking at God's Word. And so this morning, we're going to focus on one passage has, it has to do with conflict this evening or throughout the week, whenever your small group meets, we'll branch off and look at several other things the Bible teaches us about conflict. So uh, on one side, plugging, getting God's word. On the other side, let me plug small groups. If you have not signed up for one yet, all you have to do is take your card and write small group on the back. And I'll call you as soon as this afternoon and just say, here's our few options. What do you want to be in? And we'll get you plugged in with a group. They meet every other week throughout this semester. All right, so Matthew chapter 18, as we look at this new series, we're asking the question, what did Jesus actually do? So as we, we apply it to certain, uh, we're going to call it e either relationships or, or these certain environments we get in that sometimes can be uh, troubling to us, what did Jesus actually do? And so this morning, we're going to talk about conflict. Anybody ever dealt with conflict? Yeah, no? Like three of you. Okay, the rest of you, uh, we, I'd like you to teach us and tell us, because you have done amazing. Um, yeah, we all deal with conflict, like some way, somehow. Like some of you are like, conflict? Yeah, like this morning when I woke up. So it just carried on right till now. Um, we're going to ask this question this morning. What does Jesus actually tell us about conflict and what we should do about conflict? So if you've got your sermon notes, take them out. If you didn't get any and you'd like some right now, just slip up your hand and Pastor Anson will uh, come running to you with great joy and bring you one this morning. He loves this part. Oh. Matthew chapter 18, uh, we're going to look at this question of conflict. Now, here's what you're not going to find in this passage. Now, even though we're working through one, you're not going to find this in any of the passages that talk about conflict in the New Testament. You're not going to find uh, holding a grudge. Any of you like that? You're kind of a knee jerk. You, know, you don't have to raise your hand. But your knee jerk is kind of like, I don't really deal with the person or the situation. I just kind of hold on to the grudge and carry it out. And I'm frustrated for a few days, weeks, years, the rest of my life, that kind of thing. You're not going to find that in God's word. In fact, never do we find Jesus teaching us, hold on to that grudge. It's of great value to you. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The other thing you're not going to find in this passage is revenge. Like, we don't find this, like, I'm not going to hold out the grudge, but I'm getting back, and I'm getting back hard, right? Like, we don't find that in God's word either. In fact, if anything, what we find is that vengeance is the Lord's. Like, it's as if God is saying, look, 
don't worry, don't trouble yourself with that revenge stuff. Like, I, I, I'll handle, like, who gets what's coming to them. You don't worry about that kind of stuff. That's the teaching we actually get from Scripture. So what do we see in here? If you've got your Bible, take a look at your sermon notes. It starts in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. And I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll just walk through it. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they'll not listen to you, take one or two others along so that, they, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So each week in this series, I just want to start the lesson by just saying, let's walk through it. Let's just walk through line by line this passage and actually say, what's actually being taught here? What's being told of us and what can we find as we dig? So the first thing we see here is, Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, if your brother or sister sins, if your brother or sister, now some of you in here like, you know, you were the child that was loved by your parents. So you're just like, yeah, my brother and sister sinned all the time. They were always in trouble. I was, any middle children in here? I'm a middle child. We know we're like the perfect child, right? We didn't get in trouble. We skated everything. Our older brothers or sisters, they got in all the trouble. Uh, it's probably not true, but we let ourselves believe that. That's not what the Bible's talking about here. It's not your actual brother or sister, not your actual sibling. So why the, why the brother-sister language there? See, the Jesus, the context is here is he's actually talking to his followers, the believers. These are people who have already said, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So these would be like the believers. This would be like that, that phrase we use, you know, don't preach to the choir. You know, this would be like Jesus preaching to the choir, preaching to the church, the followers, the believers. And Jesus is addressing the believers in the church here. He's saying, brothers and sisters, if this happens between you, what happens if sin happens? What Jesus is actually saying, look, at some point, there's going to be a problem. Somebody's going to do something wrong. Like somebody's going like, to kind of violate the way God would want us to live. And in this particular context, he's talking about somebody sinning against you. Now, if you have your Bibles here, like if we looked at every translation, if you have a new international version, you're going to see the Bible just says, if somebody sins. If you have a new American Standard Version, our Bible, it's going to say, if somebody sins. But then you look at your new living, it's going to say, if somebody sinned against you. If you look at your King James, somebody sins against you, right? So what is it? Is it is just somebody sins in general? Like if I'm looking and go, ants and just sin there, you know, all right? We're about to put this, this into practice. Or is it, he sinned against me, you know, against me. Well, what we actually find in here, there's three different words across the New Testament that gets translated into English into this term sin, and they're kind of used interchangeably, um, but they all have a little bit of a variance in, de in, in definition, and here we actually have the word for sin that is sometimes translated as that word, we don't use it much anymore, but do you remember the word trespass used for sin? Some of you grew up reciting the Lord's Prayer, you know, forgive those who trespass against us. It's so like trespassing has this understanding of, you know, you kind of got trampled on. Like somebody wronged you. They kind of walked over you. 
in some way, somehow. And so this aspect of sin, when we see this here, is what we find is it's not just if somebody sins, you know, that person was out there doing some sin out there, it didn't affect me at all, right? This is like, Jesus is getting personal here. He's saying, look, if somebody trespasses against you, they've kind of trampled on you, they've sinned against you directly. Jesus is actually saying, look, guess what, church, believers, followers of Jesus, those of us who stand and say, you know, I am a child of God. That's as close to the singing as I'm going to offer you. Was that good? I'll stay right up here for the last song. You know? But as we sing that on the screen, I am a child of God, right? He's talking to these people. He's saying, look, hey, you children of God, you singers of those words, it's going to happen. You're going to have conflict. Somebody is going to wrong somebody else. It's going to happen. I mean, I know you're all, you know, maybe sometimes we walk around and we say, you know, you know how perfect we are and those type of things are how we're transformed in Christ. And we are. The, the life Christ offers is amazing. But guess what? Conflict arises. It happens. Sometimes I get out of my mind a little bit with what God wants me to do, and I do something dumb. Sometimes I realize it right away, and I go like, why did I do that? that that's not, I mean, that's sin. That wasn't in God's design. Sometimes, you know, like I need somebody to point it out. You know, Tom, um, I don't appreciate your attitude or, you know, what, whatever was said. But Jesus is declaring here, and we have to understand, believers, followers, you're going to have conflict. It's going to happen. That's why he says, when this happens, if this happens, here's what you're going to do about it. Why is this so important to Jesus? We actually find in God's word, Jesus has this understanding of relationship that should blow our minds. Take a look at it in John chapter 17. Jesus is praying to, to God before he would go into the cross and, and die for our, for our sins as we, as we know it goes. And he's praying and he says this, protect them, the followers, his disciples, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they, the followers, may be one as, you, as we are one. Like, like Jesus is actually just praying to God and he's saying, this same unity that you and I have, Father and Son, I want that for my followers. I want my, now you might go like, that's ridiculous. How in the world would we have the same fellowship that God and Christ have? I mean, we, we baffle ourselves just trying to understand Trinity theology, right? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all is one but different. Ah. And Jesus actually declaring that unity, that oneness, I want that for my followers. I want that. You got to understand, church, the unity and the body of Christ is so important to Jesus. So important. Listen, when we squabble over things like music style and length of sermons and, you know, and whatever else can happen in the church world, you know, I think it just so grieves the heart of Christ saying, what are we talking about here? My desire is that you would be one as the Father and I are one. So we got to understand where Jesus is coming from here when he talks about conflict. He's coming from a place of saying unity is so incredibly important. In fact, it's so important that there's a time where he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he actually teaches about getting right with your brother or sister. And he says this in Matthew 5, 24. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come back and offer your gift. Now, we've talked about this. If you want to uh, listen to a sermon that walked through this passage entirely, um, that, was, that was several months back. 
But I want to remind you that what Jesus is saying here is, if you're in line to offer your sacrifice to worship God in the form that they had always done, bring their sacrifice to the temple, and yet you don't, you're not resolved with one of your brothers or sisters in, in Christ, one of your fellow believers, just get out of line and go resolve that first. Then come back, which made no sense, right? To being in this hot, dusty line with your animal and your family and who knows how long you had to wait after you, you know, you may have journeyed from out of town to get there in the first place. And now you got to leave and go reconcile and then come back. That's how important this is. This unity is to Jesus. So if your brother or sister sins, it's going to happen. Now he's going to tell us, here's what you do about um, he, says, he says this, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Go and point out, again, a word for sin in the New Testament, their sin. Go point this out just between the two of you. Now, we don't like doing this very much. I, the, Jesus is actually saying, look, here's what you do. Go talk to them. Like, call them up and say, hey, I need to talk to you about something. And then you go, and it was, it was my grandma was the first one I ever heard say, I've got a bone to pick with you. You know, I was real little, four or five, and I'm like, I have no idea. Well, I don't even know today what that means, but, uh, but she said, I've got a bone to pick with you, you know, and usually that meant I didn't, you know, clean up after we were cooking or something like that, all right? It, it's going to that person and saying, look, i got an issue I need to talk to you about, and, and we, need, we need to talk. We don't like doing that very much, do we? I mean, that, it's a hard step. What we would prefer to do is saying, I got a problem with you, I'm going to go talk to them, and we'll talk, you know, about it, and they got my back, you know, they're like my buds, they're my yes people, so I'm going to hear some good things, you know, they're going to pump me up, um, or um, it got a little more complicated about 11 years ago or so, right, when uh, social media was introduced, because now I don't even have to wait for them to be available, right? Like, say I want to call Tim, you know, and complain about Chris, you know, and Tim's working, right? forget Tim, I'll just go right to Facebook, you know, and I'll post. Now, I know not to actually use Chris's name, right? That's not how it goes. I'll talk in generalizations, but we'll all know what I'm talking about, right? And Jesus the whole time is saying, if anyone wrongs you, it's going to happen. It's going to happen, every single one of you, right? Go to that person. Go talk to that person. Why? Unity is so important, valuing and loving someone else is so important. Jesus says, look, the best way is to go and talk to them. He even says to them, if they'll listen to you, you've won them over. If they'll listen to you, what incredible value, what you just did to strengthen your relationship. For some of you, you've been married a long time, right? And that uh, you probably face conflict in your marriage. And every once in a while, I'll see somebody post, and they'll say, you know, happy 18th or 25th or 30th anniversary. And, you know, it's not always been smooth. We had our rocky times, but I love you more today than I ever loved. And what are they saying? We had conflict, and we faced some things, right? But we got through it, and we're stronger today. That's what Jesus is saying here. Just go talk to them and walk through it. If you win them over, you are stronger. You have a deeper, richer relationship with that person if you would go do that. I want you to notice something in here as Jesus is speaking it. Notice the tone. This is not a suggestion. Like Jesus is not saying, hey, if you think it might be a good idea, if you got time, I mean, I don't know what your schedule's like, you're busy, they're busy, but you know, if you can fit it, fit it together, 
If you can do something. If not, like at least send a text, huh? You know, do something. You know, Jesus is just emphatically saying, this is the way believers are to interact when there's a conflict. This is the way. Go to that person. Why? Uh, you may know this, but conflict is really uh, just a time bomb. Like it's a time bomb waiting to go off, but it's easily diffused. Like conflict is something that's easily diffused if you would go and talk to that person. If you don't, if you don't deal with conflict, you might know. If you try to put it on the back burner, ignore conflict, you know, hope it goes away, decide the grudge route, maybe the revenge route, then it's a time bomb that is not diffused and like any bomb, it will eventually explode. Why is this so important? Jesus saying that you would go and, and deal with it this way? Because Jesus knew our most powerful witness is not when things are going smoothly or great. It's not when like Chris Kiven and I, you know, we're buds and everything's smooth and great. And it's when somebody sees Chris Kiven and I have a conflict. Not that we ever have Chris, I mean, right? But if we did, if it had to happen, it happens to other people I hear. Then it's how did how did Chris and Tom deal with that? How did they walk through that? Jesus knew that's the most powerful time for our testimony of being followers. In fact, he says in John chapter 13, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you what? If you love one another. Again, he's talking to the believers. If you read the full context of that passage, he's saying, look, believers, if you would treat each other the way I've come and called you to love one another, even in the middle of conflict, Guess what? Those people in your life that don't know Jesus, those people that you've been praying for that you would like to come to know Jesus as a Savior, it's incredibly attractive to see you love each other the way God's designed us to love. But since Jesus said, look, conflict's going to happen, it's coming, he's teaching us how to love now through that conflict. Let's go on in the passage. He says this, what if it doesn't work? What if you go to that person and... They're like, whatever, you know, it's your problem. What happens then? What do you do in that situation? Now, every once in a while, somebody has said, you know, hey, I followed that. I went and talked to them. It didn't work, you know. And then it's like, now it's free for all. Do whatever I want with the situation, right? No, Jesus goes further with it. And this is what he says. But if they still will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. What's Jesus talking about there? Well, the implication is that you take believers along, mature believers. Like, again, I could have my, my group of yes people who, you know, they're going to pat my back and say, you know, you, you go, Tom, you do you, Tom, and I get away with anything I want to get away with, right? A mature believer is not going to let me do that. A mature believer is going to keep drawing me back to God's word to live the way God intended me to live. Those are the kind of people you take along with you. So the second time through is you say, I got a couple mature believers, maybe people that know that person too, and say, come along with me. We need to kind of talk. Sometimes we call it intervention in these days, but I think that's, that word has been cycled so much through even our sitcoms and things like that, we may not take that term so seriously anymore. But what God is actually teaching or Jesus is teaching is this godly form of taking some people along to empower what God's word teaches us, to empower what Jesus is teaching us. What Jesus is saying, look, this is all spiritual. It's all spiritual. It's not just a practical thing where now I'm going to go and we're going to confront him. 
just saying, this is all spiritual. How I carry out my, my Christian life and the practical and, and how, you know, what I believe about God, this spiritual and, and practical, they're always on top of each other. And so it's all spiritual. And so I take along these people who will, who will be, help me to be more impactful even, that they would hear it from someone else. Matthew chapter 18 Strengthen this community aspect. It says, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Now, um, I, when I first heard that passage, I was in ninth grade. I had just become a Christian or just was going to church. I can't even remember if I had said yes to Christ yet. And I was playing freshman football. It was the only year I ever played football. You know, I, I, I think I weighed about 127 pounds. And, and so, uh, uh, but we didn't have a lot of players, so I got to be on the field. And it was the third game of the season, and we had not won a game, and we had not scored a point. And it was the third game. We were down six to nothing late in the game, and we were, I guess, driving. But we thought, if we score right here, um, and then we get the two-point conversion because as a freshman, nobody kicked the ball then. You know, nobody, well, nobody was capable of kicking. So we needed, we could win eight to six, you know, and have this. So I thought the best strategy was to huddle up a couple other guys on the football team, at least two, and we would pray that God would grant us that victory. Why? Because where two or three are gathered in his name, there's power. And so that was my, I think God honored my heart. Not with the outcome. We lost the game. We lost every game that season. So uh, what's really being taught here? This is not like a magic spell. It's not like God's word is saying, look, just do these things in this order, right? And do it that special way and wink your nose at the end. And then it's, you know, automatically you kind of manipulate God into doing this. It's another thing about the power of community, the power of unity. If you would gather together, gather together and be unified as a body of believers, there's such power in that. I think about in conflict, if we would rally together, if we would lovingly confront someone, together. There's power in that. It's power. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. But what if that doesn't work? What if we walk these biblical steps and I talk to them and then I took some spiritual believers with me or, or some mature believers? It says, if they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. What does that mean? You know, like we have a Sunday morning where we open mic. Just come on up. Anybody want to go first this morning? Right here. Just tell us the conflict, lay out the whole situation, you know? No, no. The implication here is that you take it to the church leaders, that you would go and you'd talk to the church leaders. Now, the best thing for a church leader to say, if you came and sat down and said, look, I've had this conflict, you know, with, with whatever, um, what do you think the church leader should say first? Have you talked to them? Because that's how Jesus is teaching but if you walk through this and you say, wow, you've really followed these steps here, and then the church leader would offer whatever biblical counsel there, praying for you, or maybe even eventually going with you to talk to that person as well. But we'd say, look, we're unified. The church leader saying we're unified as a church, that this is how God has called us to live, and this is what he called us to do, and there's greater life in that if we would do that. But if they refuse to listen even to the church, what does he tell us? Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. This is a very interesting phrase. And when I was younger, I mean, I read this, and this is how I, I, I thought I was reading it. And it makes, made sense to me. Maybe you're thinking it this way. is that Jesus said, you know, okay, if it goes wrong, conflict, 
you guys just work it out. You know, you can do this. Work it out together. Talk. If that doesn't work, it's okay. It's okay. You just, you know, get, get a group of mature believers and you guys work it out. If that doesn't work, okay, we've got another route. You know, like bring in, your, bring in your pastor or maybe there's a spiritual counselor at the church that focuses on this type of stuff. That's good. You know, and that we're going to really work this plan. This is God's way and this intent. And if this doesn't work, you know, you just say, forget it. You know, and you blow that person off and you go on, you know, with your life. Forget that person, right? But then I had to ask myself the question once. Jesus is talking here. How does Jesus teach pagans, which is just a word for non-believers uh, in the word? How does Jesus teach non or interact with non-believers? How does Jesus treat tax collectors, which a tax collector, if you don't understand in the day, if you were a Jewish person, a follower of Jesus, a Hebrew, and you went to be a tax collector, they viewed that as traitorous. You went to work for the Roman Empire to collect taxes on your people, often corruptly. How, how does Jesus treat these people? Well, we don't have to look far in his word to see how he treats these people. In fact, one of his very disciples, his followers, that's sitting here hearing him teach was a tax collector. Jesus loved them. He called them to follow him. So how do we do that? Uh, how, do we treat a, how does a believer treat a non-believer? Well, certainly we start with love and prayer. Jesus is just saying, look, you've got to understand that their Christian testimony, their Christian profession may really not be as strong as you thought it was. There may be more in their life, more that you need to build into them, more that you need to pray uh, for them and over them about. I find uh, this sometimes in the church world when we've struggled a little bit with somebody and they've let us down or they've hurt us and we've tried to reach out to them and maybe they even hurt us again and maybe they even hurt us a third time or they've disappointed us, that often we feel like another passage where Jesus invited his disciples to go preach the gospel and he said, if you're met with a house that will not open up a door for you, just brush it off and go on. As if Jesus was saying, look, you don't want to be a house of peace for a preacher? Fine, I'll go find another one. That sometimes like we take it into this type of situation and say we should treat people the same way with conflict. I think Jesus is saying always keep loving them. Always keep praying for them. Always keep reaching out to them. Always, and especially in conflict, understand that they have deeper spiritual growth that's needed in their life. We all do, right? But in this particular area, keep after them. Now, we have to put boundaries in place sometimes for protection. That's certainly true. But the way Jesus interacted with non-believers and tax collectors was clearly led by his love for them, even the ones, even the ones that weren't following his message. What does all of this mean? What do you think Jesus is saying? I think the reminder for us is that our Christian profession and biblical correction go hand in hand. That if you're going to be one that proclaims Christianity, that I'm a believer and a follower of Christ, that we also put ourselves in an environment to say, I want accountability. I want somebody to, to walk close with me. Somebody would say, hey, um, Tom, it's really great in this area. Uh, I need to talk to you about this other area. I need somebody who will challenge me continually to biblical living. So this Christian profession and biblical correction, 
It goes hand in hand. It's together. It's part of the whole journey. Listen, if you're here today and you're like, I'm, I'm a Christian and I'm professing Christ, but the moment somebody kind of challenges me, I say, don't judge me. The Bible says don't judge. What Jesus is saying here is we, we don't judge non-believers ever, not by the standards that God has called us to live. But if we're calling ourselves believers, Jesus is calling us up to a level of living that gives greater, more abundant life for us and the people we interact with. And sometimes the way we get on track or stay on track is wise biblical people challenge us. So here's a takeaway this morning. It's two simple questions for you. Process on how the Lord is leading you. Here's the first one. Do you need to repent and correct the way you've handled conflict? Like, do you look at a conflict? Maybe one comes to mind. Maybe it happened today, or it's just been ongoing for days, months, I don't know, years. But do you need to repent? Do you need to say, God, forgive me. I have not been walking the way. I have never afforded that person the honor and respect that you call me to by going and talking to them. I've always told myself, that eh, won't do any good anyway. And I've never done it. Forgive me, Lord. Do you need to correct? Correct is saying, all right, this is what I'm going to do to make this right. This, today I'm going to make a phone call. I'm setting up a, a, a coffee this week to talk with someone. Or maybe it's just you've held on to the grudge so long. You, you know, the conflict's well and gone, but you're still getting eaten up inside because you hold it. Correct that. Let it go. Release that. Do you need to repent or correct the way you've handled conflict? Here's the second question. Do you have unresolved conflict? Do you have something that's just out there? You've never dealt with it. You just ran from it. You were hoping it would just go away. It has it. It's still sitting there. It still eats at you. It's just completely unresolved. Maybe you've even lost a relationship in the process. What's the steps God is teaching you? What's the first thing you could do to go start dealing with that conflict? So here's what I want to do is I want to just pray for you this morning. And I want to uh, invite you while I'm praying, just a time where I'll stop and then you just lift up your voice to God. You don't have to say it audibly. Just, just pray. He hears it in your mind. Just pray to God and say, God, I repent, or God, I, I know I need to correct in this way. Give me strength to the, do this, Lord, or help me to deal with this unresolved conflict. However it is, I want to give you that moment. So would you bow and pray with me? So Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are direct enough in your word that you would teach us how to live, how to live out this Christian life. And understand, Lord, at the core of it, it's not you saying you do this, you don't do that. It's you saying this is how you love and honor people. This is what you do. You love people by how you deal with conflict with people. You honor them. And you win over deeper, stronger relationship. Father, I confess the times where uh, I've chosen not to walk this route. And Lord, sometimes it was easier not to walk your way, but the mess was always greater. So Father, I want to pray for every person in here. My, my desire is that this would be a day that they would launch forward in their life and they would say, I'm dealing with conflict differently. At very least, would they say, I'm skeptical, but I'm going to give this a chance. I'm going to put it in play, and I'm going to see how it plays out in my life. 
I just believe you have something richer and deeper to offer us. So I want to give you a moment. Just do your own business with God. If there's anything you need to speak to him about what we've talked about or anything else that came to mind as God is calling you, maybe to make commitment this morning, to ask forgiveness this morning, to ask him to empower you to make a correction, you take the next minute here and pray to God. Father, we thank you for hearing every word. And now would you empower every person here to carry out either what they've committed to, what they've desired to change, or conflict that's unresolved that they want to now deal with. May your Holy Spirit guide and teach them. Would they draw themselves to mature believers if they need, Lord, they need somebody to walk along with them with accountability. And we'll trust you for every testimony we hear that glorifies you, and that brings us richer life because of putting your word into practice. I pray it in your son's name. Amen. Well, I think this is a, a good morning to just remind you that if there's one of these conflicts or things you're dealing with and you want specific prayer, or if you're like, I just need help. The, the word actually tells us that there's times where we get stuck and we're not quite sure what to do, what the next step is. And to draw to 